0: Apple Presents Events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for the Silver Linings Playbook. The whole time, you're rooting for this Hemingway guy to survive the war and to be with the woman that he loves. It's
1: 4 o'clock in the morning.
0: Can't somebody say, hey, let's have a good ending to the story? I can't apologize.
1: You know what I will do? I will apologize on behalf of Ernest Hemingway, because that's who's to blame here.
0: Yeah, have Ernest Hemingway call us and apologize to us, too.
1: What are you gonna do with yourself? getting
0: trim, getting really fit for Nikki. Patrick, she left. She's gone. Doc, I have one incident. I come home from work, I see my wife's in the shower, I pull the
1: curtain back, so yeah, I snapped. Hey, Tiffany. This is Pat. You look nice. Thank you. I'm not flirting with you.
0: I didn't think you were.
1: Look, I think you're really pretty, but I'm married, okay? So am I. No, that's confusing. He's dead.
0: Wait, what's happening? So Pat, what's this? I hear about you just getting out. From the loony bay! <laughs> I thought you said you had it together. You were solid. I am solid. I was solid at the game. I
1: don't know where I belong. Hey! I oh, what the hell? I just want us to be friends. So how did you lose your job? I'm having sex with everybody in the office. Everybody? I was very depressed after Tommy died. We don't have to talk about it. Thanks. How many were there? Don't let Tiffany get you in trouble.
0: She's my friend. Why would you say that? With you. There's this dance thing. I can only do it if I have a partner.
1: Oh, I'm not going to dance with you. So is this the girl you wrote about? You wrote about me? She's fine. She is my friend with an F. A capital F. She's my For a friend. friend. Let me tell you, you got to pay attention to science. When life reaches out with a moment like this, it's a sin if you don't reach back. I'm telling you, it's a sin if you don't reach back. Yeah! This is what I believe to be true. You have to do everything you can. You have to work your hardest. If you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. Wait, what's this? Well, I thought you were doing
0: it. Oh, I thought you were doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Jordan Hoffman, and tonight's guest, David O'Russell. Hello everyone. Uh, my name is Jordan Hoffman. I'm a critic for uh, Film.com and Screen Crush, and I'm really big on the internet. And um, to my, That's usually a joke. People laugh at that. <laughs> to my left is uh, David O. Russell, whose uh, work, if you are not that great with names, uh, obviously the director and writer of Silver Linings Playbook, which we're going to be talking about this evening. Also, was it last year or two years ago, The Fighter? Two years ago, The Fighter, which, um, as far as I'm concerned, is one of those movies that if you're home flipping channels and you see it come on, you go, oh wait, this scene's really good, I'm going to watch, oh wait, this scene's really good too, I'm going to watch this one, and then you watch the whole movie, it's one of those. Prior to that, uh, films like Our Heart Huckabees, and Three Kings, and Flirting with Disaster, and Spanking the Monkey, and uh, we're very glad to have him as our guest here today. So uh, we're going to schmooze a little bit about the new movie, talk a little about the older movies, and then we're going to throw it out to questions from the audience. So if you have something brilliant you'd like to ask, just think of it now, and then we'll get to you in a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit about the film. Now, you've seen the trailer, so obviously you know uh, Bradley Cooper stars as someone who has uh, been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And um, this follows uh, in line with a number of films that treat mental illness, um, you know, squarely and honestly, but also show that from an audience point of view, at least in my opinion, there is something of an allure to watching these characters. There's something compelling about watching someone who has few um, uh, few, few, uh, few, problems with self-censorship, at least, as how it's uh, shown in the film. And I'm wondering if you could talk about how you and Bradley approach sort of the... Um, it's kind of fun to watch this guy, thing. You know, even though we know that that he has real problems, you know, there's a lot of laughs in this movie too.
1: Well, I mean, the book had that tone, the novel by Matthew Quick, and uh, that was given to me by Sidney Pollack and Anthony Minghella and, and Harvey Weinstein, and I would never have responded to it were it not for my older son, who has had many of these uh, challenges himself. So I was familiar with both uh, the comedy and the tragedy of dealing with these, these challenges. Um, and that's just how I see things, I think, most comfortably, even in the fighter. It's what is real. Like in Goodfellas to Me or Raging Bull, those are some of the funniest movies I've ever seen, even though if they're some of the most painful I mean, from what is real.
0: Um, it's funny you mentioned uh, Goodfellas because obviously you saw in the trailer uh, in the film, uh, Robert De Niro plays Bradley Cooper's father and um, I want to say this in a, in a diplomatic way, but um, when I saw this movie, I was like, wow, Robert De Niro still still has it because a lot of his recent work, in my opinion, eh, he sort of maybe hasn't been as uh, engaged, at least it appears from my point of view, with what's going on. Maybe sort of, uh, in the phrase, phoning it in a little bit. And this one, in my opinion, really, really got in there and and gave a fantastic performance. So, A, I want to thank you for that. And um, I just want to talk about, you know, working with him and how you you saw him approach this material. And then, you know, what was his, you know, reaction to seeing a role offered to him like this?
1: Well, it was also personal to him because he's had family members who have had these... Challenges, so we had spoken about that over a number of years, so once I decided to, to to talk to him about it, I rewrote it for him in his rhythm that has been imprinted on me as a as a watcher of his films um and I think it was something he took very seriously because it is personal to him, and because he also because of the movie Limitless has a kind of father son relationship with Bradley Cooper. I mean, I'm half Italian-American, so is Bob, so is Bradley. And, and that was the rhythm of the whole picture. It was great to see him memorize monologues and really drill down emotionally uh, in, a, in a very intense way. Um, it was just a gift to everybody on the stage. He's super present, and he has a very heavy presence in a, in a good way, a very uh, deep presence that you would expect him to have. Um, and so it affected the whole set, really. When you say you... you um retooled the script for with him in
0: mind can you can you give us some specifics like um, was this changing just sort of just sort of dialogue tweaks or mannerisms or you know talk a little bit you say he's imprinted on your mind a little bit how did that how did that change some of the scene work
1: well you know the original book is written about an irish american family which i had done in the fighter even though i looked at that and said i know these people from my own family but you know this making an it Italian-American was closer to the relatives I know and I wrote it in that rhythm that he speaks and it comes very naturally and I think that it's, you know um, I'm trying to think of scenes that, you know, he surprised us with the very emotional scene with Bradley he doesn't always tell you what he's going to do um, you know, we did many takes of him and Bradley talking, This this sort of talk they have and all of a sudden one of them he just started crying I didn't know even know what was happening I thought so I, I thought is uh, I don't know if we were I was on his back and I didn't know what was happening and you know he also my son is the is is in the picture and uh, Bob chases him in his pajamas I don't know if you remember that oh that's yeah. your son yeah oh wow And as Bradley Cooper said today it's those scenes you know in a family at the three o'clock in the morning where it always seems to always happen in your pajamas he said where they're really they really 3 a.m of the inner gritty, nitty gritty truth of the family always comes down or whatever is, is going to happen that's weird and uh, upsetting or the moment of truth, it's always like somehow and so De Niro walking across the lawn in his pajamas with a bloody nose you know, chasing my kid who had been bothering him, Was that was something that was wonderful.
0: You know, it's really amazing for me to hear that because there's a shot, it's maybe a second or half a second in the movie, but it's one of the shots that I think of when I think of this movie is De Niro in his pajamas on the lawn. I'm being totally serious. Like, it just seared in there, and it's, and it's amazing that's where it came from. Well, you know, so talking about De Niro, we have a clip, actually. De Niro, like, he's my buddy. Uh, Mr. Robert De Niro, we have a clip of uh, one of the scenes from the film, and, Matt, I think you have that one queued up. We can take a quick look at that right now.
1: I'm making Krabby snacks and homemade. Yeah, come on, Dad,
0: be nice. Come on, she's making Krabby snacks and homemade. Come on, Dad! What are you, what are you so up about? You're very happy. I'm happy. No, you're so up, 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 Wasn't up. Isn't that a good thing? No, no, you're just up, 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 up. I don't, I don't know what, what that is. Are you taking the proper dosage of your
1: medication? Am I taking the right dose? Of course I am.
0: Okay. Taking a little bit too many or something? Or...
1: <laughs> no, if I was taking that, I'd be on the floor, Dad.
0: It's a short clip. The first rule of showbiz is you always leave him wanting more. You, uh, they never. You never really know why he wears the garbage can. He's about to, but the garbage uh, bag. Well, he, he says th- it's
1: to sweat. They ask him. He says it's to sweat.
0: But, but and and if if he said it to me, I would have been like, what do you mean? But then something happens, and you never. I love that in the well, video.
1: It's like wearing a sweatsuit. You know, I mean, the people they don't breathe. So he does it to keep the sweat in. No, to sweat to lose weight because he's obsessed. Oh, he was everybody always says to him how he was you know he lost a lot of weight, which was true when I met Bradley. You know he had it was Wedding Crashers, and I said you seemed like a very intense guy from Wedding Crashers, and and I, and, and he said he weighed thirty pounds more, and he was less happy, and I found that very interesting, and that mirrors the role of the character really. Um, was that in the book also his his weight loss? Because that huh
0: that's that's. That's neat. Um, okay, so uh, in the film, uh, he's trying to recover. He's, he's on his way toward um, reaching some stability in his life. He's got family, and he meets a young woman, as you saw in the trailer, Jennifer Lawrence. And the, she has, as my father would say, her own mishagas. She's got problems of her own and the two bond over this rather quickly. Um, And the scenes between the two really crackle. They're very, very exciting. Jennifer Lawrence obviously is a relative uh, newcomer to film but has not been in anything that hasn't really, just people have been really taken with her and and with good reason, I think. And I'm wondering uh, a little bit about the the process between Bradley and Jennifer, um, how they work on their relationship, uh, you know, sort of, in, in adi- if there was anything in addition to the usual professionalism of, of coming to work, rehearsing, learn, learning your lines, that sort of thing, did they do some sort of research together about mental health issues or, you know, programs or whatnot in their collaboration?
1: Um, well, she plays kind of a force of nature person, um, and she was a late arrival. We had our choice of many different great actresses. We were very fortunate, and she came in at the 11th hour. And was the first audition I had ever Skyped. She did a <laughs> Skype audition with me from her parents' house in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, just really impressed us. Was so she
0: just sitting at her desk? At her or father's desk, yeah. Wow. That's... Uh uh, you know, that's t- if she can impress you just sitting down. and You're looking at her head yeah, on screen.
1: Yeah, I, I can feel like I feel like I can almost tell anything online. People always say you have to see it projected. I think I can even tell a cinematographer's work online. They say no, you have to see it projected. Of course, I say that when you're going to see my movie, you have to see <laughs> it projected. But I guess it's a double standard. Um,
0: so anyhow, getting back to the, um, the you know their collaboration. Uh, w- was there? Uh, Were there any things that you were hip to that they maybe did on their own to to sort of work on their relationship other than the usual? The fact
1: that they started out with two weeks of dance rehearsals and they didn't know each other and they were sweating and hanging all over each other with the choreographer uh, every day got them comfortable with each other very quickly. You know, and they really, they're both, they took a shine to each other. They had a very good chemistry. Um, And you know, in the movie, you know, you, you say that they click very quickly, but it's really um, it's a strange alliance. It's one that he resists, because he's convinced that he's, he's obsessed. Do you ever meet one of these people? They can hold it together if they have a mission. And his mission is he's going to get his wife back, who, who, who has a restraining order on him, because he's a better person now. And this is what's holding his whole life together, is this. He's making himself a better person, to be a better husband for her, after a very big incident happened. Um, and uh, Jennifer helps him with to get it back to his wife. That's the whole purpose. She's there, trying to help him get back to his wife. Um, anyway, they have also would both root around in my food bag. I have a food bag every day, and they both um, liked picking what they liked out of there. <laughs>
0: um, excellent. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, let's just jump to it then. We have also a clip of uh, the two of them. This is right after the first scene where they, where they meet at a little dinner party and, and uh, they sit down to dinner and, and this scene happens. What meds are you on?
1: Me? None. I used to be on lithium and Seroquel and Abilify, but I don't take them anymore, no. They make me foggy and they also make me bloated.
0: Yeah, I was on Xanax and Effexor, but I agree, I wasn't as sharp, so I stopped.
1: You ever take Klonopin?
0: clonopin yeah. Right?
1: Jesus. Like, is it what? Yeah. Well, what day is it? <laughs> How about
0: trazodone? Trazodone?
1: Well, oh, it flattens you out. I mean, you are done. It takes the light right out of your eye. God, I bet it does. I'm tired. I want to go. No, 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 no. We haven't, we, we haven't even finished the salad yet or, or the, the duck. I made the fire and ice cake. I said I'm tired. Are you going to walk me home or what? You mean me? Yeah, you. Are you going to walk me home? You have poor social skills. You have a problem. I have a problem. Mm-hmm. You say more inappropriate things than appropriate things. You scare people. No, I tell the truth. You, you're mean.
0: Well, I'm not telling the truth.
1: Um, maybe I should drive them home separately. No.
0: You can, you can drive them both home now. Stop talking about me in third you can person. Take, you can take. You me all love first. it when I have problems. You love it. You love it, Vaughn. Because then you can be the good one. Just say no, it. I don't. I don't. I, d- I just wanted to have a nice. I Just wanted God. to have a just, What is your problem? Nothing's my problem. I'm fine. I'm tired. I want to go. Come on. Are you ready? You
1: really. Okay. You really want to go right now? Yes, I really want to go. It's baby. been great. Okay, guys. The baby is sleeping. Sorry, I don't want to wake up the baby. Bye. I'm sorry, man.
0: Um, th- this scene that we just saw uh, re- really, um I think, kind of nails what what's so interesting about the film is that it is it it is funny and serious and switches on a dime. and, and later in the um in the film, uh, there's a, a really remarkable sequence that is, uh, I think one of the best things I've ever seen on film that sort of expresses, uh, for lack of a better term, madness on film. It's when Bradley cooper's character, uh, suffers a manic episode. He's looking for a videotape in the attic, and he can't find it. And it's sort of shot from his mental point of view and how he just gets more enraged and more enraged. And it's cut together, you know, it's, it's a type of thing that, you know, film students will be studying this sequence, I think, for quite some time. And it's put together with a wonderful piece of music. For you classic rock fans, Led Zeppelin's What Is and What Should Never Be, which is a seesawing song. It's part bluesy and smooth and it's kind of fun, and then it gets really aggressive and heavy metal. And I want to talk about just that sequence as a project unto itself. How long did it take to map that out, to to shoot it, to cut it together, to find the rhythms of the music, to get it till you said, I'm done with the sequence, I can move on? Because I think, you know, at the end of the year, when we look back at the individual sequences that really made this year exciting, that's way up on the list, in my opinion.
1: Uh thank you. It's a it's a it, it's a scene that probably we took a day to shoot in a short schedule. Well, but that for us was a long time. And that was a big deal for us. I mean, we didn't take a day to really hardly do anything. I mean, um I mean and the, and those guys and then we took probably took months cutting it different ways. Um but you know, those guys, the way we shoot in a 33-day schedule is we just get right to it, you know. And so uh I mean, it's, it's amazing because the whole house just erupts in two seconds, which can happen with someone who's volatile and, um, and struggling. And uh, De Niro comes into the middle of it with Jackie Weaver, and then that's my son who rings the doorbell, and then comes up, and that's where you get Bob in his pajamas, you know, outside. Um, but, you know, we shot it with a steady cam. Um, we are still shooting film. I have not switched over to digital yet. I, have a, I believe there's more warmth uh, in film, which may just be a superstition at this point, but I I, I cling to it. Um, we were up in this real attic a pra- uh, that was very warm and sweaty, and uh, Cooper did take after take, and we do three different levels. We try to higher, lower, and medium. So you get to the editing room and you decide which is right. So we did some that were extremely... Uh, volatile, and some that were less so. And you find, surprisingly, the quiet moments can be the ones that really arrest you. Um, It was a discovery in the editing room to intercut it with his memories of what happened with his wife.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really effective because it wasn't overdone. It was like one or two flash frames, but you got it. Was that always the song you wanted to use? Or was there a eureka moment when you found that song?
1: There was absolutely a eureka moment. We originally were using Dave Grohl's song, uh, Everlong. It went from the acoustic version when she slapped him to the electric version when he was up in the attic. And eventually we switched over to Led Zeppelin, which had been a discovery for us in The Fighter. Christian Bale's crime spree was scenes, separate scenes. And it was a discovery to tell it cinematically in a propulsive fashion uh, with... uh, the first song from their first album that had never been in a movie, Good Times, Bad Times. And so this song also, as you pointed out very astutely, is a is a sort of a bipolar song. It gets very quiet and beautiful and romantic and then it gets very loud and and uh medley.
0: Yeah, but but with 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 the one in, in, in Silver Linings there's that sort of like I'm not gonna hum. But there's that bluesy moment where it's like has almost like a drunkard's like, hey, we're having a good time, you know, and and it's uh, it's so arresting to see that with this guy flipping out at his mother. It's 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 you kind of want to laugh, you kind of want to cry, and that's and that's what this movie's all about, as far as far as I'm concerned. Um, in a little bit, we're gonna take some questions, so uh, um, uh, we'll we'll send somebody around. Um, this film and the fighter are both when the, when. Justice Samuel Alito was being confirmed. Uh, I read in the New York Times the phrase "ethnic whites." I'd never read that phrase before, but the phrase "ethnic whites" and the fighter in this—this this is two. You do one more, you've got a trilogy. Uh, you are the 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 patron saint of ethnic whites on film right now. Was this something that you planned to do, or? <laughs> I.
1: I <laughs> Uh, it is. It is certainly something that I uh, have uh, felt. You know, I, like a a connection with, and that I feel that I, I feel that uh, it's worked out nicely for me. And I feel, and I am going to do a third one.
0: The third in the ethnic white trilogy is that the Irish. Vaguely, you don't. They don't really get into specifics of whether they're Irish or Italian. I mean, it's De Niro, but his name is Pat, so you don't really know if they're Irish or.
1: Well, they say Solitano is their name. But, okay. Yeah.
0: All right. But they're in Philly also, which is, uh, you know, then they're just from Philly. You know, these are just these guys. You shot? I'm assuming this was shot all on location in Philly, or yes. Okay. Now you mentioned also that you shot on film, which was something I was gonna ask because I'm getting pretty good now at telling the difference between video and film, but I couldn't tell on this one, which is not to say that it looked like video. It's just that video is getting to the point where it tricks me all the time. So. Uh, you're going kicking and screaming to video. You have have you shot anything on video? Have you done tests? Commer- commercials. You, you've done commercials, yeah. and why don't you like it?
1: I don't know. I just I feel like there's something about film that's very rich and beautiful, and um, uh, a sort of a, a human quality, an unknown quality that can't be controlled. That um, uh, again, I told you it could be superstitious. Right, right. But, uh,
0: but do you, does, do your producers not show you um, if you shoot on video? the the price of stock will go here so you'll have more money to do X, Y, Z. Yes, they do. And you'll have more time to rehearse and better catering. Yeah, because then you
1: don't don't spend as much time just loading because these these are 10-minute mags with film so I like to shoot without cutting to, to get the actors into the flow so they forget that the camera's rolling. And that's a ten-minute mag, and I'm totally with. With digital, you can just keep going. You can. Yeah, it's yeah. it's
0: it's it's value. And there's no value in the stock. It's just it's just digital bytes. Not that at the Apple Store we're condemning digital bytes in any way, but I'm just saying with the film moving, that's m- money going through the taxi meter, as they say. But it's been working out so far. So 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 far so good. Um, uh, oh yeah, and I heard some guys talking about it before. This is in in no. Way a minor thing with this film. Everybody's flipping out that, holy crap, Chris Tucker's in a movie again. All right, uh, I heard you guys talking about it earlier, and, and I was the same way. And I had kind of forgotten when I saw it. I saw it a couple days ago, and it was early in the morning, so I'm schlepping to get in there, and I sit down, the movie starts, go, and then a guy shows up, and, I, oh my God, it's Chris Tucker. That's right, he's in this. Haven't seen him in a movie since 2007, which was Rush Hour 3. Prior to that, he was in Rush Hour 2. Prior to that, Rush Hour 1. Guy doesn't work that much. Chris Tucker's back. So how did that happen?
1: Well, I think um, I was very interested in working with him. I like taking people who haven't been out of the limelight a little bit because it's exciting, especially if the character also echoes that Journey. His character, like Pat's character, has been off the scene. They've been they've been in a hospital, and when he comes out, it's unpredictable. So I like taking Chris Tucker, who I have, people I haven't seen for a while, and you know he's got some wildness behind his eyes, but he's playing a very grounded character. But you never know when he's going to start dancing with Jennifer Lawrence or when he's going to start gambling with Robert De Niro or when you know. Uh, so it's nice that he, to have that quality that tells you so much about. The background of Bradley Cooper's character and their friendship from the hospital.
0: Was that not to get into too much, you know, uh, the you know Hollywood Reporter talk? But did 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 he contact your people? Did your people contact his people? Do you have people? I mean, how does that work? Did you say I want Chris Tucker for this role, or or?
1: I usually reach out. You reach out to uh, you know Harvey and I reached out to uh, his agents. And uh, we met And was him. he just like, "Thank God, the phone's ringing." As a thing as I think he was very grateful to be in an ensemble like this, and uh, it was it was very it turned out to be very funny that he's someone who's known for improvising, yet he had to memorize probably the most difficult lines to memorize in the script, which are all legal. They're actual legal language from people who have had to do plea bargains to go to hospitals or prisons, and he, he's like a legal expert from from jail in a way and he, every time he steps on screen he's saying the law Bob De Niro calls him a jailhouse lawyer and um, it, was, it was funny to watch Critch I have to remember all that stuff <laughs> well it's a lot
0: of fun to see him I mean he's, he has a small role but when he's on he's got full command of the screen it's a lot of fun so why don't we go to a question now if anyone has you can just throw up your hand and-
1: question second row Hi, David. For The
0: Fighter, what was it like working with Christian Bale and Amy Adams? Well,
1: it was great because I thought each one of them uh, got to play something that someone had never seen them do. Christian Bale had never played someone as warm and funny, I think, as he played in The Fighter, as much as he was tragic. And I enjoyed the fact that five minutes into the movie, people would say to me, wait a minute, that's Christian Bale? So... The same thing with Amy Adams. They would say, the princess from Enchanted, I don't think she's going to be uh, a bitch from a bar in Lowell, Massachusetts. But I said, well, where do you see the film? And so that's that's a pleasure. And I'm going to work with both of them again on the, the next project, which he, he dubs the third in this trilogy, which is a true New York area story from 1978. Um, with Chris, it'll be with Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Bradley Cooper, and Jeremy Renner. and um, it's it's real people, really intense people during an amazing, un, almost unbelievable story that happened uh, with all the sick style of 1978 and music. It's going to be intense.
0: Well now that you've teased us, you have to tell us a little more. Is it a uh, you say it's a true story? is it about
1: It's based based on a true story. It's based on what became known as the ab scam scandal at the time. But I'm focused, which is where these, the FBI and these con, these criminals, criminals were arrested by the FBI and um, forced to work with them in creating cons to catch other criminals and other con artists, and eventually politicians. But it, how it happened is really, to me, more about the people and the, romance, the love lives they were having and what, how they got involved in all this, which is just amazing.
0: You shooting that here in New York, or in Brooklyn, well, Queens, that area? Right, we're
1: going to shoot it right here in New York, and we're going to shoot uh, in New Jersey as well. And uh, you know, we... Uh,
0: the sixth borough New Jersey. We can call it that. It's fine.
1: Uh, Third borough right here. Hi, David. How's it going? Um, as a director, um, having such a short uh, time frame to shoot a movie uh, what's that like? Like, I mean, because, like, is there, has there ever been a point where you wanted to go to the studio and ask for more time? Or, like, you know, what's it like, you know, maybe the 31st day or something like that, where this, the film has to be done and you're not quite there? Like, what's it like on set? Like, is it intense? Is it stressful? You know, what's your... How does your crew react? Well, I mean, the way... It is always stressful. Making a film is stressful, but that's what makes it exciting. I mean, you know, you... you uh I, I, I did 33 days on both the last two movies, and I embrace it. And I like to deliver the picture under budget and on schedule. And I don't believe in asking for more days. You know, to me, it's a big I've been there. And I just think that, you know, use your craft and use your discipline to figure out how to make it happen. I mean, Harvey Weinstein called us up and said, I just had a great idea for this coda at the end of the movie. What if the whole family was together back in the house? I said, "Great, you're going to give us another day for that." He said, "No," and so we fit it. <laughs> you, you treat it like your team six. You just you strap on your backpack and you say, "Let's make this happen." You know, um, so if you have the right atmosphere with a wonderful group of actors, everybody's very eager to make it happen.
0: So, so when Harvey Weinstein says, uh, "I have an idea," it really means you're doing my idea.
1: No, we didn't have to do it. I like him, and I you know I like collaborating with him. You know.
0: It, it, it is It's an, it is a very nice... It's, it's, it's a moment to sort of take a victory lap in the film. So uh, his... Uh, um, he, he was right. He was right. Um, I Actually, I wanted to bring up one of your earlier... Your first film, actually, was a movie called Spanking the Monkey. I don't know if anyone here has seen the film. A couple of people, a few people, a high percentage of people. Um, and I just wanted to share a very quick story. And uh, I saw it, um, I guess, a little, little bit after it came out at home, around the holidays, actually. Uh, uh, on a, it's
1: a I, fun holiday uh, movie. I guess
0: on VH For those who don't know, it involves a, a mother's son incest, is what it all kind of builds to. And I watched it on VHS at home with my mother, um, which was fine, except for the fact that my sister was watching it, too, and she had to make a big deal out of it and say, isn't it weird that you're watching this movie together? And then it became weird that she said that. So I'm w- wondering if... Uh, over the years, plenty of people, I'm sure, have come to you with stories about how they saw that film, and I'm wondering what was the top one. Because although my story is fun to me, it surely can't be the craziest.
1: Yeah, you know, they're, they're usually, almost always, involve someone finding themselves in a movie theater with their mother and freak <laughs> and freaking out. You know. Um, uh, or people going to the comedy section to uh, get it and getting it home and saying why is this in the comedy section, or taking it from the drama section, getting home and saying why wasn't this in the comedy section? Because <laughs> I, what I like about the picture is that it's where someone is actually trying to hang himself in the bathroom while his mother's knocking on the door, insisting that he come out and eat dinner, and um, he says can I do anything around here? <laughs> and because um, she she never seems to leave him alone. That's how we, That was the first film that started it all at Sundance, you know. Um, and uh, we made it for we got it in the can for $80,000, so that we were proud of that. So, um, Which today, in digital terms, is probably a huge sum.
0: 80000 You can make three movies for yeah. that. What are you talking We, we did it
1: with something called Short Ends, which at the time was the film that was left over from a feature film, which has now become obsolete. So on a big film like Terminator, they would have what was left on a roll, and they would take these partial rolls... And then people like us would you know, beg and try to get them. You know, so we took all those sh- those leftover rolls and made the film. Are you able to keep
0: up with the the new crop? Like, do you go to Sundance or the other fest to see where the next, y- spanking the monkey is, the next y- you know guys scrapping together movies at a low budget?
1: It's it's always exciting. You read about it on the internet or you hear about it. You know, it's, I've I've been on juries a few times um, at Sundance or other festivals, and it's it's always invigorating. It's always really good. And I tell this, you know, I've been involved with something called the Ghetto Film School, which is the first public high school for cinema. Did you know about this?
0: I, I did, yes. It's
1: like the I high heard school about for it the on NPR. It's yes. like the high school for the performing arts, and I've been involved with them for ten years. And one of the things I love about them, which is the kids from any borough can go to this school in the Bronx, and do high school through cinema, is that storytelling. And the reason I mention that is when you go to a film festival, you have that experience. It's to not be precious about it and to make everybody, just tell a story, tell it, tell it. Don't, what, you see people hem it, well, I'm not sure if I, just tell it. Because I know as a writer, that's my biggest impediment, is when I think, well, I'm not sure it's ready, I don't, I'm still thinking about it. No, just tell it. That's the best way we're going to figure out how to tell it, is when you make, we make you tell it a bunch of times, and then we say, well, I don't know, I don't understand that part, fix that part. And so that's, just, that's what a film festival is like for me, to see all the new filmmakers and, and see all the new f- cinema coming out. We have another question in the second row.
0: Hey David, I'm Christopher Butler from Ghetto Film School. I'm an alumni.
1: All right.
0: When it comes to writing and telling your stories, you seem to tell it from a very unique angle, like um, Three Kings, you know, when you told the story of these guys finding this fortune, or the fighter when you talk about this drug addicted fighter. And it's like, what inspires you to tell this unique story instead of a grand story about a war or just about a big boxing match, but going deeper in?
1: this story is Silver Linings?
0: You know, in All your films, just telling it at an angle in which we don't expect to see it.
1: You have to find something that really excites you, that personally excites you, you know? So right now, I'm very personally excited about telling stories about, about these characters. In this picture, we had you know, three very big characters. We had Bradley Cooper playing this very intense, unintentionally funny guy who's trying to put his life back together you have Jennifer Lawrence who's also moved back home with her parents who's a very direct bold character and Robert de Niro who's a bookmaker and, and an OCD bookmaker and I, those are characters I just fell in love with and there and when the film is over I was sad it was over you know um, I don't think I would I wouldn't you know there's uh, you wouldn't make certain films today that you made before because I don't have that same love that I had then I wouldn't these are the things I'm in love with now. And I would say that you need that love because you're going to be working on it for a long time You know, if you're going to be making it good. And I, and I think craftsmanship can't be underestimated. You have to just keep working on it as many times as you can to keep saying it's not good enough. Thanks. Question here in the back row. Do you have a favorite movie? And if so, what is your favorite movie? it's very hard to do you know and when i always see people's faces when i ask them this question it's like i've given them a math problem that they have to you know figure out the exact best movie and i i just say well just name 10 or 5 or 4 or i can just start rattling off a whole bunch of my favorite movies you know um i'd name two of them goodfellas raging bull um you know i would add to that um it's a Wonderful Life. I would add to that Chinatown. I would add to that Shampoo. I would add to that. Um, here's to come. Since I have some guilty pla- flat- Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, uh, I think that's a good opening starter.
0: Did Did you take a second look at um, some of the quote unquote classic uh, mental health stories while you were writing, like Cuckoo's Nest or David and Lisa or um, No Ordinary People? Any of that? No. You didn't want to just double check that you weren't doing something that was already done?
1: No, because I knew, I knew, that's a good question though, but no, I knew that, it's just like the fighter, you know, I knew we were not going to do what had been done in Raging Bull, that was a great, or Rocky, those were great films. We had something different, or we shouldn't have even been there, you know, so we had those sisters and the mother and the very particular thing, and in this case, it was a very particular story that I knew personal things about, and I'm going to do it, with the rhythm and the voice that comes through what I feel. So I know that's going to be different. Next question. We have time for two more. in the front row. Hi, David. Um,
0: What was your hardest um, obstacle throughout all the moves you made, and how did you overcome it?
1: I think the hardest obstacle is knowing um, which story you want to tell and how to tell it. And I would say the hardest time might be when I just had a difficult time about ten years ago trying to decide... And I think it shows in Huckabee's. I don't think I was as clear as I could have been. And, I, and what I learned coming out of that period that was harder for me is to just to go from your gut and to keep it real and to make it count and, and to mean it as much as you can from your heart. That's what I personally got from it, you know, is that I, I got to feel it and make it real from the heart and keep it simple. Um, that's just what I think I can, I can do as a filmmaker in my work, and that's what it keeps it grounded and keeps it entertaining I want to grab the audience by the throat I don't want to be bored when I'm watching a movie and I don't I, I want a movie to really grab me and I look for sustained intensity um, last question right here in the second row in front of you
0: uh, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of the fighter and I actually saw Silver Linings playbook at the Hamptons Film Festival and I really loved it and I had a question concerning um, uh, you touched on music earlier about Led Zeppelin in the movie, but there's also another song that seems to affect uh, Bradley Cooper's character pretty significantly that's touched upon a few times. And I was just wondering, um, what's the, was that intentional when you were writing the script, or was the music, did the music come after, or did you think of songs in mind, um, for, especially for a moment like that at the, uh, when he's talking to his therapist?
1: Well, uh, in the galleys of the book that I was given, the song was Sherry Amore by Stevie Wonder. Subsequently, I believe Stevie Wonder's music publishers did not give their permission to the publisher of the book. And then apparently it turned into a Kenny G song. But I but I kept it Sherry Amore because I think that's a very beautiful song. And I prefer a song that isn't just a joke because that isn't the kind of movie we were making. No disrespect to Kenny G, but I think they were, they were just trying to they make comedy there. And I, uh, to me, it's a f- song that would be at a wedding. It was his wedding song. And it meant a lot to him emotionally. And the whole film is, has to be rooted emotionally and very, we're not fooling around emotionally. So it could be funny, but first it was emotional. All the other music in the movie is very important to me. The music supervisor, Sue Jacobs, is a great genius at helping to pick and license and have the taste and feel for music. Um, Dave Brubeck, Marie, his cover of Maria um, from West Side Story is a very Garner. special. Got, uh, Misty er- in there. Errol, I mean Errol Garner doing Misty. I love that song. Um, you we know, Johnny I, I, Mathis. We I mean, had Frank Sinatra. This yeah. guy
0: brought up a really good question. Um, it's a great pick for a song because it's also a ubiquitous song. You hear it when you go to the CVS. You hear it, you know. But in their dance routine. They do another Stevie Wonder song. They do "Do It Do" as part of their um, the big finale, and that was like, like he's that's like he's dancing on the edge because like Stevie Wonder is so close to his his. Uh, but that was never addressed. It to was never to his trigger.
1: Yeah. No, I think originally we wanted to have him dance to the same song that was his trigger song. This the trigger song was Sharia Moore, and then we thought, well, maybe we've had enough of that song, and maybe he's moved on. But he's showing his confidence by mastering that the song triggers him because it was his wedding song and his wife did a terrible thing to him later in their marriage. Went that song playing, so it becomes a real trigger to him, um, messes him up. And uh, at the end, they have three songs they dance to that I that I you know they have a, a dance that has bipolar aspects to it. But that's one of the songs is a, is. Um, Don't You Worry About a Thing, the beginning of that. Don't You Worry About a Thing. And then there's a Jack White song, The White Stripes, and then there's Dave Brubeck.
0: Um, Okay, well, listen, I'm going to take moderator's privilege and ask one sort of of out-of-left-field question before we wrap this up. You, uh, in your film Flirting Disaster, worked with Alan Alda. I have never met the guy... But from an audience point of view, I see him as one of life's great rock tours and wonderful individuals. I'm hoping that you experienced a good Alan Alda story and you could share one with us because, I, to my mind, he's one of the great guys.
1: He's a great guy, and if you watch Bill Hader's imitation of him. <laughs>
0: No, I haven't seen that. Oh my God! I'm gonna check it out on my Apple f- iPad no, no, as soon as I can. It is flawless.
1: Now, they do a thing where it's like the 25th anniversary of um, of uh, Back to the Future, and all the people who auditioned for the role it didn't get, the Michael J. Fox role, because some of that was released. So they, you know, all the cast of Saturday Night Live does, you know, Prince auditioning for Back to the Future, and they do Alan Alda. Anyway, he's a he's a he's a very nice man, and and he made fun of himself at his house. He was showing me all of his Emmys, and he goes, and I got more in the garage. I got much more in the garage. Then he turned around and said, look at me. He said, I just showed you all my Emmys, and I said, and I got more in the garage. And he was just laughing at himself.
0: Well, on on that note, as we play the closing theme from M.A.S.H., uh, thanks again for coming There are always more Apple Store events, and I'm sure Matt is going to tell us what they are as we wrap this up. That is a beautiful lead-in. Thank you, Jordan. You can go to apple.com forward slash Soho. But before that, I just want to take the second to thank David for being here, and thank you guys, and thank everybody for a great event tonight. Thank you.